from Bloomington, Indiana, we bring you the Hoosier Flipside Weekend Recap with our definitely sober correspondent, Matt Berklin. Matt? Good afternoon. My name is Matt Berklin, and I'm definitely sober right now. Let's start with the news. This past week, Herman B. Wells Library was severely damaged when several hungry students mistook it for a giant Triscuit. The students, starving after several days of studying for an accounting midterm, consumed the lower left corner of the building. Preventative measures are being looked into, as this marks the fourth time students have mistaken the building for a crunchy treat. Last Thursday, junior Jerry Dent set off to become the first man to ever climb all seven stories of Ballantyne Hall. Unfortunately, contact was lost with Mr. Dent that night following his establishment of camp in the sixth floor stairwell. A search and rescue team has been deployed, however, it's unlikely they will be able to get past the cannibalistic horde of English professors on the fourth floor. In local news, Peter in third grade established his reign as the totalitarian dictator of a local elementary school lunch table. Sources indicated that this occurred following his annexation of second grader Timmy Jones's Pizza Lunchable, who cited it as the most valuable commodity in the western region of the lunchroom. Also in local news, a standoff has developed at the Indianapolis Zoo between a group of zookeepers and a feces-toting chimp. Strained negotiations between the two parties have recently begun, and we will keep you posted with any updates. In LGBT news, a body of water off the coast of Miami recently came out as transatlantic. This has been the first time a body of water has come out since a pack of rainbow skittles surfaced on the shores of Lake Monroe back in 2002. Authorities were alerted last Tuesday night as a disgruntled, hostile, red-nosed man was found to be hoarding the Teeter Center Desk Kleenex box and coughing incessantly on passersby. However, after being delivered several packages of nasal decongestants by the authorities, he continued coughing on pedestrians and was then taken into custody. This just in, peace talks between the zookeepers and the feces-toting chimp erupted into chaos after one party opened fire. While the details have yet to be released, head mediator Lauren Ramis released a statement saying, this is going to take a while to clean up. In a recent public service announcement by Indiana University, administration have developed a new initiative to give all of its students autism. Please report to the IMU Georgian Room for your mumps vaccination at your earliest convenience. Maurer School of Law has recently announced a new certificate in trial by combat for all of its undergraduate students. Faculty member Thomas LeBlanc stated at a press conference while brandishing his deadly longsword, if I'm being totally honest, we just really like Game of Thrones. When asked about the morality of such a certificate, the department declined to comment and threatened our reporter with legal action. At last Tuesday's Silicon Valley Innovation Convention, three-dimensional penis printing technology took center stage. Commanding the most attention at the event was industry leader Leon Crust, who told reporters that this new technology would revolutionize the sexting experience. Our 3D printing capabilities have ushered in a new era of dong snaps that will change the paradigm of our society for years to come. Investors remain skeptical, however, following the catastrophic failure of Crust's last foray into sexy social media, FapChat. And that about wraps it up for this week's Hoosier Flipside Weekend Report. Be sure to check out more completely relevant and almost factual news on our website, HoosierFlipside.com, and find us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can find updates on all of the hard-hitting and mostly accurate news stories in the Bloomington area. We'll now leave you with our Flipside Quote of the Week. Believe you can, and you're halfway there. That comes to us from Captain Edward John Smith of the Titanic. Thank you all, and I'll see you on the flip side.
We're your hosts, Joe Weber. And Morgan Burris. The very serious news report you just heard was brought to us by Hoosier Flipside, Indiana University's bi-monthly satirical newspaper. Join them over on HoosierFlipside.com, where their motto is, Some days, we all just need something to laugh at. But right now, you're listening to American Student Radio. From Bloom... <laughs> from... Uh, again, live... Live... What is it? <clears throat> oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington. From Indiana University in Bloomington. This is... This is... This is American Student Radio. Real chill. Real chill. Aliens. Conspiracy. Journalism. And lesbians. So, you're probably wondering why we decided to start this broadcast with a fake news report. Well, as you might know, each week here on ASR, we pick a theme. And this week's theme is humor. Today we'll be exploring all different aspects of humor. We've got stories about improv comedy, about women, about late night TV, even about burlesque dancers who dress up like Voldemort. Uh, really? We've got it all, people. I really want to hear this uh, Voldemort thing. Sounds interesting. Uh, let's do it. This story is about Verna, a seamstress living in Bloomington, who doubles as a burlesque dancer. Through performance, Verna has created a new outlet uh, to become many hilarious characters, but acknowledges the hardships that have followed her along her journey. Sabrina Darrow reports. Uh, It all started as a joke, really. Um, My husband, I guess he was my fiancé at the time, sent me a belly dance workout DVD uh, as sort of a joke. I popped it into the DVD player and just sort of started watching it and I thought well this is actually pretty cool and they did have really sparkly outfits on and that was something that really got my attention because I make costumes I really awesome if I had an excuse to make something like that for myself. Seven years later, Verna branched out from belly dancing into burlesque. Okay, so before Verna takes the stage I'm going to need you to forget everything you think you know about burlesque. Her tagline is Ruining sexy since 2006. I am very afraid to introduce to you for her first ever routine in drag, Verna Vendetta. Verna is wearing a bald cap covered in veins drawn on with purple and blue eyeliner. She is Lord Voldemort, the bald, white-skinned supervillain from Harry Potter. A handmade Voldemort nose covers her own. Then she performs her routine. As she dances around the stage and into the audience, her black wings swirl through the air, all of which leads to a strip tease at the end. So there's traditional burlesque. Classical, which is more of what you'd imagine a pinup girl from the 20s to look like, with glittery outfits and sparkly shoes. And then there's neoclassical, which is open to interpretation. For example, Verna can perform a strip tease as Lord Voldemort. You know, I am not someone who looks like a Victoria's Secret model, but I do feel like I'm a sexy person. And uh, I feel like it would be so easy for me to put on, you know, a long wig and put on lingerie and do something that would be stereotypically feminine and sexy. But it's a challenge for me to have to make myself look like somebody like Voldemort and then do a striptease. Verna took her stage name, Verna Vendetta, from her great-grandmother, whom she describes as a character. 
She has also taken inspiration from her grandmother's unconventionality. She describes her burlesque style with the following tagline. Ruining sexy since 2006. Halloween of 2006, to be precise. When a friend at a party told her, You would just be so sexy if you didn't ruin it with that one thing. I was expected to sort of portray this certain idea of sex appeal when maybe that wasn't even what I was going for at all. She dressed up as a 90s character, similar to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, for her first burlesque show, and she plans to keep making all of her costumes for shows to come. She says coming up, she may do a pinup girl routine in the classical style for her husband, otherwise toying with more experimental characters and outfits. She's excited, dreaming about joining a troupe and traveling the country, but she also says performing is challenging for her. I, I'm an introvert, and I don't feel comfortable being around large groups of people and public speaking, you know, and all of those stereotypical sort of introvert type things. But when I look at myself in the mirror and I look like, you know, a rock star, I feel like I convinced myself for just five minutes to get out on that stage and do something for people. And then letting them know after the show that this is not my comfort zone, but this is something that I push myself to do because I think it's good for me but be myself and be completely accepted for it. And not just accepted, but celebrated. From Bloomington, this is Sabrina Dara. Thanks to Sabrina Dara for bringing us that story. It, uh, it took my brain to some pretty interesting and weird places. Well, hey, buddy, come on back, because uh, we got another story to listen to. Indeed we do. Um, Joe, I just saw Whiskey Tango Foxtrot in theaters starring Tina Fey, mm. um, and it's so good, and it got me thinking about women in comedy. What specifically about women in comedy? Uh, women in comedy have such an interesting like plight, but also they're they're really making comedy their own right now and really owning it. So Emily Beck just interviewed Maggie Eikoff of Ladies Night Comedy. And I think it's going to be a really interesting piece to listen to. Let's listen to it. When Maggie was a kid, she would cry when people laughed at her. My mom told me that I would cry when people would laugh at me because I thought that they were making fun of me. And she texted me recently and was like, it's so funny that um, you're like begging for people to laugh at you now because you used to cry when that happened. Maggie's been performing improv, sketch, and stand-up comedy since high school. Now, as a sophomore at IU, she's in two troops, Awkward Silence and the one she started herself back in the fall of 2014, called Ladies' Night. I started the group with five people. Wait, six people? Six people, including me, with five other people. Um, And I did it because I went through a lot of auditions freshman year um, for other troops, and I didn't get into any of them. Maggie wanted to write and create things and also create an opportunity for others to do the same. So I sort of just Facebook stalked and found some of the girls who were in my auditions who I thought were really funny and messaged them. And I was like, do you guys want to get together and maybe like write some stuff and maybe eventually perform that stuff? And everyone was super into it. So it was me and five other girls who started it. That led to performances once or twice every semester since then. Their stuff includes stand-up and sketch, like this parody of Iggy Azalea's song Fancy, called Nancy. I'm so Nancy! 
at Kroger's in Costco. One of the girls, Nancy, is holding a bowl with a spoon and wearing a red striped apron. Three of her kids, other members of Ladies' Night, are dancing next to her on their knees. Another video shows sophomore Riley Dismore doing stand-up. She has this great bit about being a vegetarian, which I found funny because I'm also a vegetarian. Um, but the, the questions that I just can't deal with about being a vegetarian um, are these ignorant questions. Uh, so you've never had meat? I, okay, you have. Okay, so you don't eat meat? Like, no. None? Do you eat fish? No? Okay. So if you were on a desert island and the only thing was, no, okay. So, Mackie was performing in high school. Sometimes she felt like her ideas weren't as appreciated. Whether that was because of her gender or because of silly high school antics, who's to say? Me and the other girl who, who were in the um, troupe, like, consistently felt that our ideas were not being heard and that we weren't being respected, despite the fact that she was in the group even longer than I was. This translated to Maggie wanting to create a performance environment where everyone's ideas would be supportive. Well, there's not really any kind of um, idea in the comedy community at IU that women aren't funny, because there are plenty of funny women in the community already. I think I'm just hoping to reach people outside of that community. Still, Maggie said that in professional troops, she's concerned about women fading into the background while performing. Mm. I've noticed in a lot of even professional groups from like Chicago, LA, and New York that women sometimes take a back seat in scenes and it never paints them as less funny or anything, but you can always kind of tell when a man is taking a, the lead in a scene. Like what would you want people to walk away knowing about Ladies Night? Mm, I think I would just want people to know how much it means to each and every member because when I started the group with those five other people, it wasn't like I didn't care about it, but I didn't think that it would really affect very many people who were in the group. But speaking to the members now, so many of them are like, this is the favorite, my favorite thing that I do on campus and I love coming every week and consistently feeling supported and we regard it as like a safe space. And so anything that you see on stage was made by all of us. And like, we all supported it in a way that like lifted the writer up. Um, a lot of girls have like gone on to do stand up at the Comedy Attic or at Bears or something because they felt that the feedback we gave them was lifting them up in a way that they could do that. Remember Rachel from earlier? She's performed stand-up at the Comedy Attic in Bloomington, and so have some of the other members of Ladies' Night. When you're creating collaborative art with a group of people, like, you just have to be close because you have to trust each other and you have to support each other. So I think that any comedy troupe would say that they are each other's family. Ladies' Night's next show will be on April 30th. Follow them on Twitter at Ladies' Night IU. For American Student Radio, I'm Emily Beck. Eat till you're full, fill your stomach, bow to blow, clean the kitchen, let's have fun picking up the stuff. Next up is The Entanglement, a podcast about the complexities of college relationships from juniors Alex Daly and Danny Costanzo. In this episode, one student finds the humor in her first kiss. 
Today we're adding Sabrina to the entanglement. I'm Sabrina, I'm a junior, and I'm 20. My first kiss was in eighth grade. We had like, you know, like the classic middle school, like off and on thing. And I was like really afraid of kissing for some reason. Then like one day I was just like, okay, like today's the day. And so we were like walking to the buses together. We're just like standing in front of them for like five minutes. The buses start like revving up. <laughs> he said something like, you know, like we don't have to do this. And I was like, no, like I want to. He was like probably a foot and a half taller than me. We both went in to like for the kiss. We closed our eyes super early. And so he like kissed like the like left part of like my cheek. And I just like started laughing. I think I did say I'm sorry afterwards. <laughs> Everyone his bus was like watching they were like yeah Connor and like all like clapping and so then I'm just like super embarrassed and then I ran over to my bus and I like tripped over the curb and like skinned my knee so I'm like bleeding and that was my first kiss <laughs> I don't think he was scared at all like I think he was totally like ready and fine and stuff and it was just me it definitely like scarred me for a while though I would say we were friends like throughout high school he was my homecoming formal date like senior year it's just like a really funny like evolution I guess like there, I remember there was a moment when we were like on this bench at this park and like actually very similar to like in front of the bus he like put his arm around me it was like the most awful like it was just like very slow and I was like oh my god this is like a movie it's like this is so stupid he was like do you want to kiss me or something like that and like I hate when people say that and I was just like no <laughs> I don't know it was just like very strange I've never had a boyfriend boyfriend like I've had like things with people and stuff but I feel like I've always like been afraid of messing up in some way there was this like physical connection that like I wanted to have like I felt like that was like the next step up I guess that's that was like what was scary for me was because I hadn't really like experienced that women lose their virginities but have their first kiss don't really like that idea that you're like losing something but I don't know they always make it out in like the movies to be like this like great thing and it's always great in the movies you know but I don't know. I do think it's kind of like a rite of passage. You just heard Sabrina's story. For American Student Radio and The Entanglement, I'm Alex Daly. And I'm Danny Costanza. Listen to more episodes of The Entanglement on their SoundCloud page. If you want to share your story, email iuentanglement at gmail.com. So first kisses, Morgan. Do you have an embarrassing first kiss story? Um, mine wasn't so much embarrassing. It's just uh, very late. Um, my first kiss was when I was, uh, the summer after my senior year of high school mm. before I was going to college and I watched, um, Bridesmaids, the movie with my almost not quite boyfriend, Joe. And then we, <laughs> different guy. And then, um, we, um, were leaving and, um, he was about to get in his car and he was like, oh yeah, I forgot something slam into my face. So it wasn't embarrassing as so much as painful and late. So it was like a bad kind of slam, like physically slam in your face. I don't think when it, personally, when it comes to kissing, I'm not sure there's a good type of slam. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Agree to disagree. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I can't really remember if I have really an embarrassing first kiss story. Um, I think my, f do I say the person's name? Is that like... Do it. Uh, Call him out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, I guess in eighth grade, I can't remember like my first physical kiss, but like my first like, 
Okay. You know, already too many details. We're moving <laughs> on. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think it was like in a basement and we were watching the movie um, Across the Universe. You, sexy. Movie? Yeah, yeah. Really sexy. And I remember like I like had my eyes open or something, which apparently you're not supposed to do. And like she had her eyes open and we both looked at each other and <laughs> Okay, like I said, moving on. All right. Shout out to Emily. <laughs> Thanks for listening to American Student Radio. We broadcast from WIUX 99.1 FM every Sunday at noon. While we've covered a broad range of stories so far this hour, it wouldn't be a humor show if we didn't include some of our favorite corny jokes. We asked some of our producers to give us their best one. Okay, um, I don't know if anyone's done this. It's like really incredibly childlike, like second grade kind of joke. Um, Knock, knock. Who's there? Boo. <laughs> Why are you crying? It's just a joke. Okay, some were pretty corny, but some gave it a modern touch. What does a baby computer call its father? I don't know. Data. <laughs> Others were even more groan worthy. Do you want to hear a joke about pizza? Yeah. yeah. Never mind, it's too cheesy. <laughs> and you'll hear our executive producer, Matt Bloom, has some catching up to do on music history. What's Mozart's favorite fruit? Banana. <laughs> Beethoven. Oh, I meant Beethoven. <laughs> I'm going to go now. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at ASR Voice and on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Student Radio and on our website, americanstudentradio.org. Now, back to the show. Every week here on ASR, we feature a segment called Matt Tries Things in which one of our executive producers, Matt, you know him, he doesn't know Beethoven, uh, he tries something new. Unfortunately, Matt is tied up with other projects this week, so I'll be filling in. And with the help of my hilarious co-host, I set off to try something completely new and out of my comfort zone. Here's what happened. Uh, what should I expect for tonight? Because I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay, so um, first of all, you're going to be improvising with the best comedy troupe on campus, okay. Midnight Snack Comedy. Um, tonight right now, you're hearing my co-host and friend, Morgan Burris, prepping me for a big night ahead. The big comedy event tomorrow. Um, and so basically we're going to be working on basics cause you're new to improv. Right. So we're going to be doing, we warm up every practice with a round of knives, which is where we throw a knife at you and you say, and we say die and you go not today and you catch it. Okay. Since I've been a student at IU, I've met a lot of people like Morgan who are involved in improv comedy troops on campus, but I never dared to attempt it myself. I'd be way too self-conscious. I thought, and definitely not funny. But when Morgan and I were tasked with hosting this program, with the theme being humor, I knew it was inevitable. I needed to try improv comedy. Die! Not today, 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 die! If you're confused about what's going on, don't worry. I was too. I'm in a small classroom in Woodburn Hall. It's around 9 p.m. on a Tuesday, and I'm in a circle with members of IU's Midnight Snack Comedy Troupe. This is where Morgan has taken me for my improv introduction. 
Not today. Die. If you listen closely, just then, you can hear me trying to play along. Poorly. As Morgan explained to me, in this game called Knives, participants stand in a circle and pretend to throw knives at each other. And they yell a bunch of stuff, and there's other rules too. Whatever it is, they all seem to be really good at it, and I'm not. But before we jumped into a practice and started throwing imaginary knives at each other, Morgan helped me understand what exactly improv is. Yeah, it's like that. And like I think everybody like does improv in their own way. Like if you have an inside joke with your friends where you like imagining that your car is like, I don't know, like a pizza delivery car and you're all So maybe I have improvised before. I just didn't know it. We were just talking about this in our group. Like I think that improv is just having an inside joke with friends, but now your friends include an audience. So before we continue, just a little background on Morgan. She's currently a senior and she began improvising when she joined Midnight Snack Comedy as a freshman. The group, which currently consists of 10 student members, performs every other Saturday at the Union. Some are aspiring comedians, some just love to improvise. Regardless, they're all funny. Okay, that signals the end of Knives. Next, we move on to a game called Three Line, a sort of two-person skit that's a little too hard for me to grasp on the fly. Instead, I stall by asking one of Midnight Snack's newest cast members, Amy Reeder, about how she got involved with Midnight Snack. Okay, Amy, how did you get into improv here at IU? Um, I saw a flyer, actually. It was uh, maybe after Welcome Week, first week of classes. It was always kind of something I wanted to do, but uh, I just kind of went on a whim. I almost didn't go to the audition because I was tired, but I was just like, okay, let's go. I hadn't heard about any of the troops because I wasn't very familiar with the comedy community, but I just went, auditioned, and uh, I'm here. How do you prepare for an audition for something you've like never done before? Uh, just, really, it's an open mind. I just went in, I listened to what they said, and I just, I wasn't really questioning myself. I was just kind of doing it. I just kind of did what I could, and I guess it worked out. By the way, Amy is hilarious. So I take her advice. Have an open mind. Don't question myself. Just do it. All right, I'll try to go. Yes. Try. So, with encouragement from Morgan, I'm ready to step up my participation. They start playing a game called What Are You Doing, where two people stand side to side doing the same motion using a part of their body and have to go back and forth giving a different explanation of exactly what they're doing. First one to slip up is out. I join in with another performer, Tony. The motion we've chosen is rubbing both of our hands on our stomachs. I speak first. Hey, what are you doing? Man, just got done eating dinner at my grandma's. What are you doing? Just putting on a little sunscreen. What are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm grooming my chest hair. I'm going out tonight. <laughs> this might be the least embarrassing attempt I make at improvising. What are you doing? If you take saran wrap, it feels pretty good. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, I think I got worms. What are you doing? <laughs> After surviving my first one-on-one improv experience, Morgan checks in on me. How are you feeling? Great. Good. Good. So you should definitely try and do a scene with us. It'll be... I'm at will. Yes. At this point, we're on to the final game of the evening, Montage. I'll let Morgan explain. Okay, so basically what's going to happen... This is our last game? This is our, this is our last game. This is like... Is it usually uh, how you finish up? Yeah, this is how we finish. This is our longest game and okay. our last game. Uh, so basically, we have a word. Okay. And then we uh, perform three monologues based off that word and like linking those three monologues together. So Morgan asks for a word. Let's line up. 
Can we get a suggestion for something that you hate to find in your dishwasher? Sadness. I am. Sadness. Whoa. Sadness. The suggestion is sadness. I'm reluctant to join in for the first 15 minutes or so. When I finally do, the scene has moved into a restaurant, so I pretend to be the owner. And, well, for some reason, I'm using a really bad southern accent. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, i It's our school-themed restaurant. Uh, oh, wow. I-Core, you core uh, We all core. Uh, I'm the manager. My name's Tim. I just want to make sure you guys are having a good time tonight. Uh, looks like, are you all on a date? Yeah. That is so darn cute. I remember the first time I went. So, the practice wraps up, and I get a few compliments for doing a good job for my first time. It feels really good to know that I didn't completely make a fool of myself. And while I still have a long way to go from auditioning for Saturday Night Live, I'm confident that everyone should try improvising at least once. It gets you out of your comfort zone, it makes you think differently, and most of all, it's fun. Thank you so much to Midnight Snack Comedy and Morgan for inviting me to their practice. You all have a bright future of making people laugh. As for me, I think I'll stick to radio. Also, thank you to Matt Bloom for letting me take over this segment while he's away. Until next time, I'm Joe Weber. Hey, Joe. You did a really great job improvising with us the other day. I'm glad I edited this beforehand <laughs> because there was some really embarrassing, not funny stuff that I said that I very intentionally left out. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thank also you for taking me. I really appreciate it. You guys were all really funny and welcoming. Like improv's not about being funny. I'm glad we talked about time. that though, right? I mean, because it isn't like you can't when you try to just say punchlines and intentionally be funny the whole time. I, it doesn't work. It sucks. All right. For our final <laughs> produced segment of the day, we're going to take a closer look at late night television's past, present and future. Tristan Fitzpatrick brings us this story. In case you're just joining us, this is tonight, and uh, I can't think of too much to tell you about it, except I want to give you the bad news first. This program is going to go on forever. (laughs) Boy, you think you're tired now. (laughs) This is a clip of Steve Allen hosting the very first episode of The Tonight Show, when it originally aired in 1954 on NBC. It's amazing that Allen's remarks, which were just a joke at the time, now signify the perseverance of late-night television. Since our show this week is about humor, I thought I'd take a look into late night TV and explore some of its history. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Johnny! While Alan was the first host of The Tonight Show, the show's influential role in the late night landscape is all due to one man, Johnny Carson. Carson, who began hosting the show in 1962, developed many of the concepts we now associate with a typical late night TV show. Each episode featured an opening monologue with several jokes. Good evening. I'm Johnny Carson. I'm going to bring you a safe and sane fourth tonight, because the monologue is a dud. <laughs> the next piece would either be a sketch or a bit, where Carson would play different characters, such as Karnick the Magnificent, who was supposedly a psychic who could magically read an answer to a question in an envelope. Some call him mystic. Some call him master. We call him any time we don't know the answer. He's that special seer and former dietitian to Orson Welles, Karnak the Magnificent. The show would then segue into interviews with actors, celebrities, politicians, or other cultural figures. Jimmy Stewart is here. What can you say about this oh. man? Uh, he's, he's a marvelous actor, and he's just a marvelous person. Um, and he does the best impression. 
of Jimmy Stewart I have ever heard of. <laughs> Would you welcome Jimmy Stewart? Before ending with a musical performance from a singer or a band. Would you welcome David Boyd? Carson hosted the show for 40 years. While he was still its host, another comic stepped onto the scene that would also modify its format. Thank you very much. Welcome to the show. My name is David Letterman. We've really slopped one together for you tonight, folks. We David Letterman began hosting a new talk show called Late Night in 1982, which premiered directly after The Tonight Show on NBC. Letterman was given several restrictions on what he could and couldn't do on his show, because the same production company that produced The Tonight Show also produced his show. For example, he couldn't use several of the same sketches Carson used. As a result, Letterman was allowed to try out many segments during the program, including Stupid Pet Tricks. Right now, it's time to get to our latest installment of Stupid Pet Tricks. People from all over the tri-state area have brought their uh, pets, dogs, cats, other animals in here, and going to perform the tricks that they have been taught at home. Now, let me remind you, uh, this is not a competition. It's only an exhibition. Please, no wagering. And small town news. Okay, let's get on to it. This is uh, small town news. These are uh, actual clippings from actual newspapers from all over the United States. This first one comes to us from the Grand Prairie Herald in Hazen, Arkansas. And you can see the little circle item there. Mount Pleasant Cemetery. Mr. and Mrs. Thomas Rogers, $25. Mr. and Mrs. Jonas Sparks, $20. What the hell kind of sale is this? Carson retired from The Tonight Show in 1992. After Carson's retirement, this man... Welcome to The Tonight Show. Nice to have you here. ...named Jay Leno, who was previously a regular guest host of The Tonight Show, succeeded him. And Letterman began hosting his own late-night show on CBS called The Late Show. Since then, the landscape has changed even more. Leno retired in 2014 and Letterman left his show a year later. In today's era of digital media, the current generation of late-night hosts are obsessed with finding clips that go viral online. Jimmy Fallon, for example, who currently hosts The Tonight Show, produces clips from his show that can get millions of views in a short amount of time. This clip of him and actor Morgan Freeman talking after they've just ingested helium, for example, ranked up an impressive 28 million views on YouTube. You, you ever want to go to space? <laughs> I really shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> it's tough to predict where things will go in the future of late-night TV. But if Steve Allen's words on the first broadcast of The Tonight Show are any indication, it will still be a major force, regardless of what format it will be in. From Bloomington, I'm Tristan Fitzpatrick. Okay, so I loved this story, but it got me thinking a lot about the future of comedy, but specifically late night television. Mm -hmm. So I invited my good friend Robbie Rittman. Hey, Robbie. That's me. <laughs> uh, to come on the show. And he's in Who's On First? Uh, improv Comedy. He does a lot of cool stuff on campus. He writes a lot of really cool things. And I wanted to have a conversation with him about comedy and late night comedy and where it's going. Let's talk about late night comedy. I'm interested to see what happens to late night comedy now that we're in the digital age. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it seems like late night, I'm sorry, I'm sick everyone, so I'll be sniffling. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm curious to see what will happen to it now. For example, have you heard a bit about, uh, not to segue already, but have you heard about Jon Stewart and launching this thing wherein he's going to comment on things and have his own 
cable media thing. Have you heard about this at all? On no. HBO, right? Yeah, something like that. Like HBO is giving them full reign just to release digital content because that seems like that. You know, people like someone to come out and be a host and comment. You know, like sure. yeah. Johnny Carson is. Well, well, speaking of the Daily Show, um, a lot of people are excited. Speaking about women in comedy, like we talked earlier about yes. Samantha Bee's new show. Morgan, you want to talk about that? Uh, yes, I would love to talk about that. Yeah, she does. I am obsessed with Samantha Bee's new show. Um, Samantha Bee was on The Daily Show. She was mm-hmm. the longest serving correspondent and, you know, objectively the best one. <laughs> she, uh, the reason I love Samantha Bee is because Trevor Noah took over The Daily Show, right? right. Sure, just, yes. It, to me, and I think to a lot of people, it lost the fire that it had when Jon Stewart yeah. ran it. You know, he was mad and he would stick it to the media. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool. And it just doesn't have the same kind of thing with Trevor Noah. Like, it has good pieces. Like, Jessica yeah. Williams is amazing. But right. it doesn't have the same fire. Samantha B is mad all the time. So what are the kind of things she's doing on the show or that we've seen as previews for the show that proved that point? Uh, well, she's had three episodes come out now. And every single time... I'm also sick. Sorry. Where can we find this, by the way? Uh, this is on... TBS 1130 on Mondays. Where can the millennials find it? It is also <laughs> online on TBS.com and all cool. over YouTube, speaking Great. of viral. Um, and it has, basically it's a three act show and it just has two acts of her ranting angrily mm-hmm. and a field piece. And her her stuff, she talks about the election, she talks about um, Antonin Scalia's death and she talks about... Mm. Um, R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> <Ooh>. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she talks Scalia. About, she talks about that kind of stuff but then she, her real... Her real amazing stuff is her um, field pieces. Like she did a, a piece about women working and how co- women are just berated with sexual assault no matter where they go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she did a piece on that called like hashtag girl power, hashtag lean in Samantha Bee's lady power segment. Yeah. And it was so funny. And she also did a piece on Syrian refugees called the people we are unintelligibly screaming about. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, she just she shows American media and American people why what they're doing is wrong. Man. objectively and it's so good and so funny you didn't you don't think it'd be funny because it's me i make it sound very full of rage no rage is funny rage is hilarious yeah 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 no lewis black i mean he's he's a funny rageaholic <laughs> yeah. right so for either of you robbie or morgan mm-hmm. besides our traditional late night shows stephen colbert jimmy fallon um who's the new guy uh, James Corden. James Corden. James Corden. Yeah, Are there any Tony shows? Winter. Because everything, it's not really late night anymore. It's anytime, right? Especially with the viral. Virality? Sure. Virility. Virility? Okay. Vitiligo. They're viral. <laughs> a lot of viral shows. But So you watch it anytime. Are there any other shows, whether they're late night or not, with that similar talk show, late night show format that what? you are interested in that you think people should be listening to? Ooh, I mean, I don't know. You know, there's a lot on YouTube. I mean, that's that's what I think is kind of YouTube. dethroning late night. And that's where I think, you know, when it comes to diversity in late night, where I think YouTube really gives rise to those kind of like, because the late night persona, I mean, because late night is a boys club. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's these white dudes who are like, oh, yeah, right. let's do the late night thing. Did you? But then YouTube is like, we're just as funny, but like not the same kind of hokey funny, Yeah. but doing our thing. We're just as fr- funny, less formulaic, and less... There's fewer gatekeepers, yeah. people to keep down. Now you know who's interesting. Who? John Oliver. Yeah. Now he is. He is a white man. You know, forgive me, everybody. He's British. Uh, it's but different. but he's he's funny. And that Donald Trump thing got him a lot of traction. I'm curious to see where he'll be after this because I feel like that made him a huge name. Yeah. And even before then, he was getting a lot of traction with a lot of pieces, um, with really some good, usually cited investigative work from actual journalists, sure. um, which he, you know, gives due credit to. So another question for both of you, is there someone you would like to see host a late night show 
who currently does not have one. If you had your ideal host besides, mm. you know, Samantha B, Tina Fey isn't an option, Morgan. Dude, I know what? Say it. Is there <laughs> someone you think deserves a shot at the late night scene? Hmm. I mean, yes. Uh, I would say I really am liking, I'm, I just keep going back to The Daily Show because I think it's such a good training ground for really smart, commentary right john oliver came from it steve Jen- colbert yeah. steve carell was not a daily show correspondent um larry wilmore was he a daily larry show wilmore, correspondent? Yes. Yes. okay okay yes he has a show um i think jessica williams she just she yeah. did a piece within the last couple weeks about no not couple weeks maybe last month about uh uh racism and how there's a town in new jersey that's like yeah. has a their seal is like an indian guy being beaten up by a white guy oh, wow. and everybody's like cool with it and he she did a piece on it she does so many good pieces on race and i think yeah. one of the last women are getting into comedy more and more and more and nobody can freaking say women aren't funny anymore but yeah. to break that barrier i think a woman of color needs to get in there and make it happen and Absolutely. i think jessica williams would be amazing to see i would love to see her take on things more yeah. so than i get to see it now and I agree. I think Jessica Williams would make a great fit. Honestly, I think she kind of got snubbed um, to even take over The Daily Show. Mm, Samantha B got snubbed. Mm, that's fair, too. So, besides Samantha B, all these new things showing up, let's just talk about the medium through which the message is sent. You know, whether it's YouTube or the internet. How do you feel that's... Ch- is it good, though, that a lot of these shows like Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert are relying on these vir- this viral hits that go online. Does that ruin kind of the finesse or is it just a natural progression? See, what I want to say is it's broadcast TV's last attempt to s- seem hip. Yeah. But that also feels like it might be the right answer, you know, because it's real cool to be like broadcast TV is dying. And I think it is, but I'm not sure to what extent. And I'm wondering how they'll, you know, pull it off because they might have a parachute. But I think it'll only get worse because, you know, people love that, the clickability, because if mm-hmm. it's popular on TV, it sells on the, you know, the YouTube screen and those sorts of things. I don't know though yeah. because I think I think a lot of the way YouTube and viral things are viewed sure. because they're because they're free because they're so low paying they're viewed as a stepping stone to get to television to get to yes, to that's get to still bigger true. things. Yes. So I'm not sure we can I'm not I've never been on board 100% saying broadcast TV's dead right. or is dying because I, I'm not sure that it is. I think it's definitely changing. You know what's probably going to happen? What? There'll probably be a late night show on Netflix or Hulu. That's what I was saying. You know saying. what I mean? That could happen. Because yeah. Fuller House is a sitcom with a studio audience and everything. By the way, it's way funnier than I realized. It's actually pretty. Really? I like Fuller House quite a bit. And I'm on air saying that. But <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, no. I wouldn't be surprised if that were to happen. You know, a late night host. And that's where really, I think a Netflix or a Hulu or the people are going to hire a minority a lot you know, yeah. quicker. Can that's I, where it can really Can happen. I add something? Yes. Please. Oh, this is our yes, ad. of course. Matt, I'm back from being away. Um, <laughs> this is our executive producer. <laughs> His insight. I actually is- read an article and I suck for not knowing where it's from because you can't like cite it without saying it. But I read an article that Netflix, like actually they're not going to. like the, the Really? Whoa, I don't really? know if it was a CEO or like some programming guy said like, they weren't interested in, in doing late night. Yeah. And I think it'd be interesting to go yeah. read more about that because I don't know exactly, but I remember specifically being like, oh, wait, I, but I expected that to be the next thing. Yeah. Because what I think people love about late night is the, like literally just the desk, the suit, the like chair and the coffee mugs. Like people love that set and like that familiar thing. And if it's not being shot, you know, aired at 1130 at night, mm-hmm. I don't think people necessarily care about that as long as we have that like kind of like visual 
you yeah. know, format that we're so used to. At the same time, though, that's interesting. Um, yeah. You know, Amazon Prime is and Hulu Plus are both producing some really good original shows. Um, what's the show yeah. with? Um, about the transgender, transparent, oh, transparent, transparent uh, which is an incredible newest show. late night show. Yes. And so, you know, if Netflix doesn't jump the gun, I think there's it's definitely possible that another one of those formats will. Yeah, I mean, I would watch it. You know, we yeah. definitely, I'd try it. I think, I think what people want more than like the format, like the suit and the desk and that kind of thing, is just that that reliable personality to wrap up the daily events. Right. And I think yeah. what people have been missing for so long, it's just like how people have let or didn't want to make movies about women because men won't go see movies about women. People sure. didn't want to see anything but a white guy in a suit because people were like, well, that's inherently relatable. Yeah. Well, it's like a news anchor, but it's like a laid back news anchor. Exactly. And it's like, oh, it's Walter Cronkite, but he's got a drink in him and it's Johnny Carson. <laughs> exactly. And so now that people are seeing that that isn't 100% relatable, that's going to be the change. Like people sure, are going to realize... Absolutely. It could be anybody as long as they have a good voice that speaks to people that speaks that makes sense. Yeah, it the possibilities are endless. Well, on that note, Robbie, thank you so much oh, for joining you. us today you, and bringing your insight, Morgan and Matt. I appreciate everything you said. Uh, check great. out Samantha B on TBS. It's so important and online, very important. And also, yeah. All right, cool. Keep on laughing. Yeah. Um, next up, we've got best friends and roommates, Kylie Walls and Ian Martin. Kylie is in backdoor comedy. Ian is in awkward silence comedy. And they wrote and sent us a song called The Movie Song, uh, in which they write a love song with a, almost a thousand movie titles in it, I'm guessing. Uh, see if you can count them. I'm at home at the end of the world. Writing in my diary, baby, you don't have a clue about how I got the craziest for you. I rate you an easy A. You can be my silver lining, cause baby, you know you got lovely bones. I'm in love, actually. Won't you be my blue valentine? You're anything but despicable to me This love is from a land before time I've got a little rush at a summer storm Cause baby without you I'm nowhere boy We're like two boys in the bed Holding hands in zombie land these traveling pants on every torn I'm in love, actually Won't you be my blue valentine? You're anything but despicable to me This love is from a land before time The day I met you, the answer's Despicable to me 
This love is from a land before time. The love I have for you is like the movies. It's a never-ending cabaret. Never let me go, just like Titanic. Stop, pause, play. It's no chamber of secrets when I look you in the eye. My stomach gets all tangled every time. Thank you to Kylie and Ian. Uh, that was really creative. And you know what? Thank you to everyone for listening, whether you're listening live or on SoundCloud, through Facebook, through Twitter, through all the ways we've been promoting it. We were so happy to be here today. We had a lot of fun laughing and talking about serious things, too, and we hope you did as well. Um, for even more comedy fun, please check out IUCCF this April 1st and 2nd. Uh, there are going to be performances from almost all of the comedians you heard today. Um, it's going to be, we've got people coming from out of state. We've got headliners coming in from Chicago. It is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, please follow Funny or Die IU on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you're going to get a schedule of all the campus comedy happening every single week, along with original content written by IU comedy writers. Uh, talk about a shameless plug, Morgan. All right, I am sorry. I've got stuff to do. Thanks for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students from Indiana University in Bloomington. Follow us on Twitter at ASR Voice and like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash American Student Radio. Our theme music is provided by Lunamatic. Check out Lunamatic's music at www.soundcloud.com slash Lunamatic. That's L-U-N-A-M-A-T-I-C. We'll have new episodes every Sunday on WIUX and streaming on our website at www.americanstudentradio.org. 